This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. So everyone who's watching, because they just came in, whatever it is, um, we're, we're talking about that um, Rosh Hashanah is coming up, and it should be pretty scary that, um, that on Monday night we're going to be in a court case, and we're going to be in a court case of, of, of life, if we're going to have life next year, and all the other stuff that you pray for, doesn't matter if you're not alive. You can't have panasa, you can't have kids, you can't get married, you can't do anything. So the, the basis, foundation of the thing that we're going to pray for um, is life. And, um, and that's very, very important. You should really be very scared, but you shouldn't be really scared. So we'll give you an example. You got a summons, a ticket, you were speeding, and now you know on Monday or Tuesday you have a court case, and you really don't want to get points, because they're going to take away your license because you're not 18 yet. If you get points, they're going to take away your license and you're all nervous. And you go, you have an appointment at 11 o'clock in the morning in, in, in courtroom number three. Baruch Hashem, you know your father is the judge in courtroom number three. And not only does he love you and you have an amazing relationship, but you are his only child. Whoa. Not that if he has more kids... You have 10 kids, you love each kid like an only child. But yeah, you're his only child. So there's no way you're gonna, that you're going to be guilty. He's going to find a way to say, uh, the cop's fault, whatever. He didn't see it, he didn't, the, the machine wasn't working, whatever. He's going to, right? So, so, so that's amazing. Baruch Hashem, Rosh Hashanah, we're coming in front of our father. And he considers each one of us his only child. So we're good to go. What are you worried about? Because the bottom line is, if you have a bad relationship, then you're not going to be so sure that you're going to win the case. So a young lady asked a question, and she said, one second, what's the use of life if you're sick? Or poor, or depressed, or anxious, like, maybe I'd rather not live. But she didn't say that, but maybe I'd rather not live. So there's a mission in Pirkei Avos, and the mission in Pirkei Avos says that one second in this world is greater, one second of maizim toivim, good deeds, and tshuva in this world is greater than the whole Ganeidim, the whole Olam Haba, the whole everything. One second in this world. Because in the next world you can't do nothing. You can't do any mitzvahs, you can't do kibbutz v'aim. I don't know if you can even make someone smile, I don't know. I don't know exactly what goes on over there, but you really can't do anything. So, one second in this world is greater than the whole next world, and one second in the next world of enjoyment is greater than all the enjoyment of this whole world altogether. So, one second in this world is crazy. It's crazy what it's worth. Now, last year in seminary, we were having a discussion, and there was a, 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 a true story where this, this um, old man, I think he was about 94 had a huge, a crazy stroke, Nebuch, a very bad stroke, and um, he was brain dead. There was no, his brain didn't get any blood, and his brain died, and he had no, no, they, MRIs, CAT scans, they did everything, and there was no brain waves whatsoever, so how, how was he alive? So by Judaism, you're alive if your heart's beating. It doesn't go by your brain, it goes by your heart. If your heart's beating, you're alive. So they had all kinds of machines. They had a, a ECMO machine, his heart, his lungs, his kidneys. Machinery was doing everything for his body. Really, he was dead, but he wasn't dead because his heart was his, his heart. At the same time, he was in the hospital, laying there like a vegetable. 
a young man in Lakewood was in a car accident, and or I think it was Lakewood, I don't know where exactly, and his wife was in her ninth month, I think he was like 23 years old, and, they, and in the accident, his liver got lacerated. His liver got lacerated, like cut in half, and he needed a liver, he can't live without a liver. And they went to the rabbis and they said, to put him on line for a liver, to wait on line, he's not going to make it. Could they take the old man's liver at least in the meantime, and do a transplant, a liver transplant. Now, lucky is, no, you can't. You can't take someone who's alive, you can't take his organs. And maybe a kidney you could, because you could live with that one kidney, but you can't take a person's organs. So the, they pass kid, no. They can't save this kid. Now, just one second, now. This man, his potential in this world, right, what's life potential, is over. He, he's brain dead, right? He finished shots like 10 times. He had great, great grandchildren. He did a lot of tzedakah and a lot of mitzvahs. He's going to Ganeidan. He's in a, you know, he's really good to go. And this young guy, his wife is in her ninth month. He has his whole potential ahead of him. Gotta save his life. Rabbi said, no. Can't take a liver away from the guy and kill him. So I asked the seminary girls, what is the old man's potential? Or does he have any potential? Anyone here think he has a potential? Any potential? Yes. Well, the thing, so kidneys, you can live with one kidney. Livers, you can actually live with half your liver, and your liver will... Right, but I guess at his age, his liver probably wasn't working 100%. So if they would if they would operate on him, he'd die on the spot. He couldn't he couldn't go through a, a, a transplant. He couldn't go through an operation. Not at his age, and not on all those machines. He wasn't viable to take a liver. So what's his potential? Yeah. I don't hear you. He's not doing anything. He's laying in a bed. Brain. He's brain. What? He's brain dead. What's his potential? What could he do? He can't make a bracha. He's brain, brain dead means that when someone's in a coma, they're not brain dead. So they say that someone's in a coma, when they come out of a coma, they say they heard everybody, that, whatever they said in the room. But when you're brain dead, no. You're hearing that nothing works. Yeah. He's technically alive, but what's his potential? What could he do? He can't do anything. The whole thing of life is that you have potential. He has no potential. You're right, he is alive. We're not allowed to kill him. Not allowed to take his liver. Yeah, in the back. What? Oh. Put on tzitzes. Get some mitzvah and put on tzitzes. His, his, gra- his grandson could put on his tefillin. When my father was in a coma, my father was very sick. I put his tefillin on every day. Just get a mitzvah. I don't know if, you, if you're brain dead and you have no das. You still get, I'm sure you still get a mitzvah. But a girl told an answer that blew me away. Yeah, what do you think? I was going to say, there isn't really anything he could do, but just living in this world, like, you, don't you get, like, smart for just running? Get smart for living? No. Like, you get, you, when you suffer in this world, you get smart for the next world. So him just being there and not being able to do anything, that's the stuff. So he's getting rid of some of his avarice. So he's got, that's potential. So what girl said, fascinating, last year, what do you mean he doesn't have potential? Everyone in his family that visits him gets a mitzvah b'kachalim. That's crazy potential. He has potential 
or he's a chola, he's sick. So every kid, every one who walks into that room, he's causing him. Once he's dead, there's no mit, there's no mitzvah of being bicker chayla. You get nothing for coming in the room. You get nothing. But while he's alive, you get the mitzvah bicker chayla. Hashem came to Avraham Avinu. Bicker chayla is huge, right? So and whoever's saying to heal him, for him, all the to heal him. That's crazy potential. There are many people who had COVID who were in a coma for four months, and everybody was saying to him, and then they died. But those thousands of Tehillim, he got the credit for. So, when you're asking a question of, well, if you're sick, then what's life? Even if you're very sick, there are still things in life that have potential that are worth living for. Even suffering, the suffering gets rid of Averius. So, where there's life... There's crazy potential. That's why it makes me crazy when I see girls are busy on their phones and they're ruining their potential and they're wasting their time and they're killing time. In Mamish, I, I can't, I, I don't deal with it well. I never got, never gave a speech that you should get rid of your smartphones because of, because of Yiddishkeit, even though you should. The lush and hara and the filth and the dirt and all the other garbage that's online. Anti-Jews, anti-Hashem, atheism, liberalism, I don't even want to say out of my mouth the other things that are on there. That's a different speech because you could tell me, okay, I'm, I'm filtered. Or once I'm filtered. So I don't watch that stuff. Yeah, but what about wasting your time? According to, according to Time Magazine two years ago, a, a person who has a smartphone looks at their phone close to a hundred times a day when it's not ringing. When it's not ringing, just looking. Anyone call? Anyone call? Any emails? Any WhatsApps? You wake up in the morning, you go to sleep at 2 o'clock in the morning, you're getting up at 7, the first thing you look at is your phone. Did anyone call me? Who's calling you between 2 o'clock and 7 o'clock? Like, but you're like, I'm a nobody if nobody called me. And then the last thing before you go to sleep at night is, you look up your status. Girls, and everyone who's watching, let Rabbi Wallerstein tell you a secret. It was worth coming today just to hear this secret. A secret. Next Monday night, Rosh Hashanah, is when your neshama is going to find out its status. Not what your status is on WhatsApp or on your smartphone. That status is the satan status. Your status, mi yichye, mi yamos, me yishake, me yitarev, nesanatayikev. The real status comes out of Rosh Hashanah. Don't fall for that fake status. I just, just like, you know, we have now, right now, we, we started Vino Malkeno. I don't know if any of you have watched Vino Malkeno. So we did, we did three nights. Amazing. It's on, it's, you can, you can go online. It's, 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 it's Gav and myself and the two Ben Shushans and Ezra Max and, and, um, and Rabbi Eli Mansour. And, uh, wow. It's like, it's like, it's not normal who's, and, and who's speaking. And Jackie Bitone and Yamima Mizrahi, um, Charlie, like every, uh, YY Jacobson. It's like the top of the top of the top of the top. And the, the people that, you know, 
so we charge $36. Or if you want to listen to all of them, which is like 15 hours of shiurim, so it's $54, whatever. So I don't understand the internet at all. And the people that work for me are like, listen, well, it's not good enough. We're in the Yated, in the Flatbush Jewish Journal. We're in the Bina. And they're like, no, you have to, if you don't have a presence online and you don't go to the WhatsApp and the bloggers, right, then the girls are not going to find out about it. So I still didn't do that. But the bottom line is one of the people, and I didn't know what they were talking about, said, oh, if she puts it on her status, then 2,000 people are going to see it. They're like, what's her status? Like, what is that? You make up your own status? So the bottom line is that the real status is on Rosh Hashanah when they decide where you're at. And, um, and that's what real, that's, that's the real stuff that you gotta, you gotta worry about. So anyway, so, this person who's brain dead has amazing potential. Surely all of you, all of us, we're not brain dead, Baruch Hashem. Most of us are not anyway, right? So, your potential is crazy, amazing. But you need to tell Hashem on Rosh Hashanah, like, why do you want life? Your Neshama is going to stand in front of Bezdin, Shalmaila, and Rosh Hashanah, Kivnei Maram, one at a time. And Hashem is going to ask, okay, so, so Miriam, I'm just giving you a name. Miriam, what, what, my daughter, my beloved daughter, Miriam, what do you want? What do you want for Rosh Hashanah? And you can say, Hashem, I want to live. And the Satan's going to say, uh, Hashem, she asked for that last year. And you gave it to her. She's still alive a year later. Can we, can we, can we, Hashem, do you mind if I show you what she used her year of life for? And they're going to play your video. And they're going to show every minute of the last year what you did. I don't know what you did, but they're going to show every minute of what you did, and the Satan's going to say, that's why you're going to give her another year to watch movies? To be talking to her friends all day on her phone? That's why? He's a a prosecuting lawyer. This guy's not a joke. Satan wants you dead. Because as long as you're alive, you can do mitzvahs. He wants you dead. He is coming to court to get you, find you guilty, punishable by death. He's, he don't play games. And they got the tape. Not only that, it's much easier for them now. Because all they need to do is go to Verizon and Shemayim, and they could play exactly how many minutes you were on technology. Verizon can tell you in one second how many minutes you were on, on Verizon. And the sons can say, Hashem, she should be in Shemayim, because in Shemayim we don't have phones. Like, what do you do? Why are you, why are you putting in, look, well, look what's going on with her. So you, you, gotta, you have a couple of days, and you need to think about, what's my defense? Why does Hashem need me in this world? What am I offering? And I think you should, should I, I, I write on a piece of paper what next year I want to do, if Hashem gives me another year, and then the next year I open up the envelope and see if I did it. I write every year and put it in my envelope. Like, this is what I'm going to do this year. And, and I look to see if I did it. And also very important, I'll get to you in a second, very important, it's, it's a, a yekesh minig. It was a minig for me growing up. 
very beautiful minig, and that is one of the main judgment points, girls, on Rosh Hashanah is Akar Satayv. Did you appreciate that Hashem gave you another year last year? Because if you didn't, why should He give you another one? It's like the first judgment is that you are a person who has appreciation, who has gratitude, or you have no gratitude for anything. So that's another thing the Yetzirah uses against us. That's why I wrote, I wrote a book, Let There Be Rain, on gratitude. Hashem is very makbid in gratitude. So it's a Yekeshemenig. We write a letter before Rosh Hashanah to our parents, one to my mommy, one to my tati, my mother and my father, a letter of thanks for the past year, even if you're married, doesn't matter, and we put it underneath their plate by the Rosh Hashanah meal, Rosh Hashanah at night. We don't seal it so they don't have to rip it, we just close it, and the parent gets to read the thank you note that the child wrote to them for the past year. We changed this meeting and now we're into the kids should write to the parents, but the parents should also write to the kids a note about how proud they are, and sisters and brothers should write to each other. Imagine Rosh Hashanah at your table, everyone's opening up envelopes of siblings and parents and writing that they appreciate everything that you did that year. If you have that, you got nothing to worry about. You don't have to worry about Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur. If you have gratitude and you show Hashem that you appreciate what your parents did, I know there are kids here who don't have that good relationship with their parents, but there's always, if, if you can't find something good, that's what Akar Satov means, recognizing the good even in the bad, if you can't find something good, there's something very wrong, dysfunctional with you. You should always have the ability to find something good. Not everything good, but something good. Someone had fever during COVID. I had fever for two and a half weeks. I got COVID in February. I had fever for two and a half weeks. I, 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 I didn't have the breathing problems, but at my age, when you get fever as an adult, your whole body feels like someone took a sledgehammer and just whacked you and whacked you and you have no kayach. And no matter how many times I took my, my, the minute the Tylenol wore off, I had 102, 102, two and a half weeks. What, what, what are you going to thank Hashem for having fever for two and a half weeks? I'm laying there for two and a half weeks. I couldn't give a shit. I couldn't come to school. Right? What is he to thank Hashem for having fever for two and a half weeks? So I thought about it. Why does a person get fever? Why does your temperature go up? Because there's a, a battle. When your antibodies fight any, any, uh, the flu, any, uh, anything, right? So when your body fights the germ, the bacteria, so it sends like an army of antibodies to go fight that. When that happens, it raises the temperature in your body. So if you get temperature, it means that your body still has the koyach, the strength, to fight the infection. So fever is really not a bad thing. In fact, this is crazy, 
they found that if you have over 104, which is pretty sick, for five days and you have cancer, it will kill the cancer cells. They cannot live in 100, above 104. Now, why don't you just give everyone who has cancer fever? Because it's not so easy to give someone fever. I was in the Amazon, and they told me that they don't get cancer in the Amazon. There's a plant. If you take that plant, you run 104, 105, 106 fever for a few days. They don't get cancer. So, every, in everything, in everything, in everything, there's good. Hakasa Tov means you have the ability to go into that. Now, trauma. Rabbi Wallstein. A girl that's traumatized, abused, physically, emotionally, spiritually, whatever that abuse is, okay, Rabbi, go find me something good in that. Right? Go find, what's good about that? Someone abused me? That's good? It's terrible. But, but, because you went through it, you're now sensitive to it, because you're sensitive to it, you're going to do something in your life to help others that are going through the same thing. The person who didn't go through the trauma doesn't give a flip because I don't even know what that feels like. Students that didn't do well in school are the best teachers. Students that did very well in school, they don't understand why this kid isn't learning, what's going on with her. But someone who struggles, I call it struggle muscle, someone who struggles gets struggle muscle, and once you have struggle muscle, that gives you the ability to carry others. So is it good to get abused? Oh no. Oh, it's definitely not good to get abused. That's for sure. But could something good come from that abuse? Absolutely. Absolutely. Something good can come from everything. When Adam and Chava ate from the tree, good and bad were mixed. Until then, they were separate. Does it mean I should dive in that I should be abused? Of course not. But Akasa Tov means that in this most terrible thing, the Holocaust, what good came out of the Holocaust? Six million Jews died. You know what came out of the Holocaust? You. Me. All the Jews in America came out of the Holocaust. So, was the Holocaust good? No. But, is this, I'll tell you a, an amazing, amazing story. I've said it before, but it's one of the most important stories. And actually, it actually was told to me on last year Rosh Hashanah. So, last year Rosh Hashanah, because of COVID... I didn't daven in a shul, I davened in a tent. And davened outside. All the minyanim had to daven outside. The, the chazin who davened for the Ahmed, um, and he davened Yom Kippur also, which is Musaf, he davened Musaf, which is like four hours, three hours, is 96 years old. 96, Holocaust survivor. Magnificent voice at night, I don't know how he does it. He's got a power, he's 96 years old, a beautiful voice, and not like a powerful voice. I'm very proud that he's still a chazin. He was a chazin in the Holocaust when he was 13, I think, something like that. Anyway, I'm very into talking to Holocaust survivors because I deal a lot with survivors of abuse. And what was more abusive than the Holocaust? So I like to pick their brains to understand... Like, how did you guys make it? Like, how, 
How did you go through that trauma and make it? And did you like Hashem? Did you have a relationship with Hashem? Were you angry at Hashem? Did you question Hashem? Because the kids that go through trauma, they get angry at Hashem, they question Hashem. So if I could pick their brains and figure out how they did it, then I could give advice to kids who are going through the same thing. So I'm very into talking to Holocaust survivors. He's a Holocaust survivor. So one day I went over to him, and I was davening in the tent, and I, it was right after Kiddush, and I said to him, could I ask you a question and, and do me a favor? I, I, want, I need an honest answer, because you tell me the truth. If you were an atheist for 10 years afterwards, or you didn't want to talk to Hashem for 30 years... Yeah, I'm not, whatever you're going to tell me, I'm not going to go off to Derek. Don't worry. But tell me the truth. Don't make like, oh, it was Hashem, Hashem, Hashem. I need to know, you're a young guy, you're a teenager, right? You lost, you lost everything. You lost everything. His town was wiped out. No friends left, no family left, nothing. Right? So I said to him, after the war, he came back to his town. He was waiting for his father, his mother, nothing. Aunts, uncles, nothing. Cousins, nothing. Brothers, sisters, nothing. His friends, nothing. They mamish killed the whole town. He made it. But he, they killed the whole town. He was in, I don't know what, he was in a, he was in a concentration camp, a work camp, all over the place. So, I said, did you know that six million Jews died when you were in the, in the concentration camp? He said, no, we didn't know. We knew in the concentration camp Jews were dying. They didn't know that six million Jews in the world died. They had no idea. He said, so when he went to the DP camp, that's after, and, and you know, where the Jews got together, that's when everyone started talking. All the Hungarians got killed, and the Polish got killed, the Romanians got killed, and, and they realized a lot of Jews got killed. So, he has this big, like, very bright blue eyes. He's 96 years old. So I said, so like, did you have any questions on Hashem? And this old man looks at me, and he says... I did. I'm like, oh, a normal one. It's normal to have questions when you go through something like that, especially if you're a teenager. It's not like he was a rapper. He was a teenager. I said, oh, you did have questions. He goes, yes, I had one question. I'm like, okay, do you mind sharing with me? Like, what was that question? He says, one night, I was crying. I had nobody. He says, you don't understand. You're in the world you don't speak the language. You don't know anyone. You have no reference. There's no reference. You don't have a friend. You don't have a, a neighbor. You, you, there's no reference. You're like you're like a fish out of water. There's like there's there's no, there's no connection. There's no one you can bounce off. He had nothing. He says I looked up. I was crying. He says I looked up at Shemayim and said Hashem, I have one question I want to ask you. I just heard that millions of Jews died. Why did you save me? What did, why am I special? What did I do good that you saved me? Not why did five million Jews die? How could you do this, Hashem? You evil, you mean. No. That wasn't his question. Hashem does what he does, and I don't know what he does, but I'm a nobody. Why did you save me? That was his question. Not why anyone died. So I want to tell you, Rabbi Wallerstein, what I did. He said, Hashem, I don't know why you saved It's a true story. Man told me this himself. It's not in a book. He said, Hashem, I don't know why you saved me. Everyone else in my town died. I don't know why you saved me. But I'm going to tell you something. He was a teenager. He said, Believe me, there. 
when I die, after 120 years, he's almost there, he's at 96, he should live till 120, now he's 97 this year, he says, when I come to Shemayim, I'm going to have proven to you that you made a good choice. That's what he said. I'm going to prove to you that he made a good choice. Rabbi Wallerstein, you heard me diving today for the Ahmed? He made a good choice, no? I'm a good Baltimore, no? And my grandchildren's in brisk. And the other one's a love. And the other one's a doctor. And he starts telling me about, he's got, can I know how great, great grandchildren. And he goes through the whole list and he goes, she made a good choice. I made up my mind as a teenager. I'm not going to waste the choice that Hashem made. Do you understand? He came through this trauma and all he's looking at back is not his trauma, but that I got out alive in one piece. I'm going to prove to you that you made a good choice. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a survivor. I'm not going to be a victim. I'm going to be a victor. And that, girls, is a choice that everyone has. What happens to you in your life, most of it, is not your choice. Rav Shimshim Pinkus, I always say what he says. He says, the biggest stuff in your life was not your choice. At least till this generation. Boy or girl wasn't your choice. Right? Even though today in the non-Jewish world, in the liberal world, you pick your gender. Baloney, you don't pick your gender. You're either a girl or a boy. That whole thing is a bluff. I'll tell you a cute story. I'm not, I'm not telling any of you to date this boy. But he's a funny guy. I have one of my tell me, he's a real wise guy. A very funny guy. And a few years ago, they started with this whole, you could choose what you are. You could identify, you could, you could identify as, as whatever you want. Okay. He's driving down the Palisades, he's going on his way to Muncie, he's driving down the Palisades Parkway, and he's doing 65 and a 50. And he gets pulled over by a trooper. Speeding. He rolls down his window, and the trooper says, license, registration, insurance card, you're doing 65 and a 50, son... That's how they talk, you know, with their hat. Son, you're getting a summons. And my Talmud looks up at the trooper and says, you can't give me a summons. Chutzpah. You don't talk to these guys that way. And he says, excuse me, son? Why can't I give you a summons? I I just see it happening because I know that... And he looks at the trooper and he says... Because this morning, I decided to identify myself as a duck. That's what he said. Trooper said, excuse me, what did you say? He said, I am a duck. And a duck can't speed. And the trooper said, get out of your automobile. And he put him in handcuffs. And he made him walk a line because he thought for sure he was high or drinking like you're a duck. Right, right? And then he got three tickets. One for speeding, one for answering back a state trooper, and he had some kind of broken taillight in the back. I said, and then whatever, he had to go to a lawyer, because all those points, whatever it is, he says, but Rebbe, it was worth it. When I told him, I identify myself as a duck. So we live in a crazy world. You can identify yourself, uh, you know, identify yourself as as, as anything that you want. But the Misa, the Misa, 
no matter what Rav Shem says that that girl or boy is huge you're born a girl wasn't your choice who your parents are that's very big right? who your parents are is very big not your choice who your parents are even though I never saw it someone told me there's a story in Shamayim before you come you pick your parents and and some girls are like, I don't believe that because there's no way I would have picked those people. But um, they say you pick your parents, you pick your siblings, you pick this, you pick that. I, I don't know. I never saw it. I never saw that. It does. And the Shama comes, sees the world, and swears that it's not going to do a very stuff like that. But it's not your choice who your parents are. It's not your choice that you're a girl or a boy. It's not your choice you're born a Jew unless you're a Gare. That's huge. You're born a Muslim. You can be born a Christian. You're born a Jew. You're a girl. Those are your parents. It's not your choice how many siblings or who your siblings are. Not your choice. Pretty much where you live till you're married, wherever your parents live, South Dakota, Brooklyn, Flappish, wherever it is, is not your choice. And who you're going to marry is not your choice. Rabbi Wallerstein, don't tell us that. Because 40 days before you come to the world, they say, Bas, this girl is going to be married to this boy. So they announce it 40 days before you get here. It's very beautiful, Dvartara. So if that's the case, why do you need the emotion of love? I'm going to get myself into trouble here because there's a lot of people out there that say, you don't need that, you get married, you find it later. I, I don't come from that school. I don't come from that school. But yeah, I have whatever. I'm not, I'm not going to get into this whole discussion. But why do you need emotions of a, a boy and a girl? Why do they need emotions? If Hashem already said... This girl's marrying this boy. You don't need nothing. Just you don't need chachanim. You don't need emotions. You don't need to do your hair. You don't have. To, you don't have to go on a date. You don't got to pick out a, pair, a certain pair of shoes. You don't have to get a matching dress. You don't have to be nervous. The guy's ringing the bell, right? So what do you need that for? And the terrace is amazing. That even if Hashem says who you're going to marry, if there's no input of the boy and the girl, it won't work. There has to be input. There has to be emotions. There has to be a relationship. Not just Hashem says the names. Whatever that means. So, who are you going to marry? Girl or boy? Jew or not Jew? Who your parents are? Who your siblings are? No choice. So what choice do you have? What's your big choice as a human being? Uh, I'll have a chocolate. Oh, and I like vanilla. No, I'll take a strawberry. What's your choices in life? I like red. I like blue. That's your choices? That's why Hashem brought you to the world? So if Shimshim Pinkus says, the only choice you have in life is what you do with the things you have no choice. Step in or step out. Step up or step down. That I am a girl, that I am a Jew, that these are my parents, that those are my siblings, that this is where I live, that this is my IQ. Some have 165 in this room and some don't have 165. I have a good memory, some don't have a good memory. That I'm a redhead, that I'm a blonde, that I have all that, you could change. You could dye your hair. But what do you do with the things you have no choice? Most of the stuff that happens in life, definitely trauma, the kid did not choose. For sure not. So the question is, if I didn't choose it, a holocaust, the inquisition, my parents are divorced, somebody died, I don't have a parent, I didn't choose any of this stuff. If Shim Shimpinga says, so what's your choice? And the choice is, what am I going to do 
with the things I have no choice. Am I going to step up and help others? Or I'm going to get depressed, lock myself in my room, hurt myself, and do nothing with my life. That's no, I, I'm not saying you, that you're going to be judged badly for that. That's your choice. Everybody has that choice. You could say, no, some people can get abused so badly that they don't have a choice. Could be. So then they need to get help so that they could at one point make a positive choice. But you can't get help if you don't want help. So, Hakarat HaTov is even in the worst place in your life to be able to see something to thank Hashem for. If I didn't go through in my life what I went through as a little boy, there's not one girl in this room that would be sitting here. Because there would be no Benos Bina. There would be no Ateras Nava. There definitely would be no BCA. There would not be a ranch in Bethel. Because I don't do this for a living. Just the opposite. It costs me over the years millions of dollars. I make a living. Baruch Hashem, I have a great business. I don't do this because any of my daughters ever came to my seminary, my high school, or my ranch. I, no one in my family ever came to my seminary, my high school, or my ranch. So Rabbi Wallerstein, if I could pick your brain, what do you have to do with girls? Why, why do you have a high school for kids that are, that are, that are struggling? Why, why do you have a ranch? Why, why do you have seminaries? When you need seminaries, you don't make money. It's not Israel when it's charging $25,000, right? You're not making money, so if it's not money... Why do you do this? I've asked that question all the time. Like, stay home with your family. You got kids, you got grandkids. Like, you know, sell more plastic bags. Make more money. What are you busy with these kids for? My friends ask me that. What are you busy with this for? Your father didn't do this. Your father wasn't in Chinuch. And the answer is, because I had a lot of trauma in third grade. And in 10th grade. And I will never forget how I felt when I went through that. And therefore, I am very sensitive to kids who go through abuse. And to kids who no one believes in. But Hashem, I had parents that mama saved my life. But my teachers? I had a teacher that, that, that called me a sewer rat. At 16 years old, in 10th grade, a Rebbe, who, after being abused in 3rd grade, and really not liking Rebbe's, I finally found someone that I loved, a Rebbe that I trusted, and I looked up at, and then one day he was told that I was talking to a girl, which wasn't allowed in my high school, by another boy who wanted to save my neshama. So he ratted on me. To get me kicked out of Yeshiva. It was a shame, Shemayim. For sure. He was just jealous. He liked that girl. So, so I got called in by this, finally, this Rebbe that I looked up to. 
And he said, Wallerstein, do, do you know what happens to boys who talk to girls? Do you know what you're going to grow up to be? I'm thinking, oh, Moshe Rabbeinu, I don't know, Avram Avinu, David Amelech, I don't know what he's going to say. He says, I'll never forget, he put his finger, he said, you, you, Wallerstein, you, you're going to grow up to be a sewer rat. So they're little rats, but then there's these big rats. I don't know if you've ever seen them in New York. They have those long tails. Imagine the man that you love, the man that you finally is going gonna, is gonna to help you get through your trauma that you had in third grade. Just told, told you I was 16 years old. Tough guy. I was a tough guy. Someone once said something I didn't like in, in yeshiva. I broke his nose. They threw me out of yeshiva. I was like, you didn't talk to me the wrong way. I was a hockey player. I was, my whole thing was that during a hockey game, I needed stitches, got stitches, and came back to play in the middle of the game. Like, I was a Marine. I didn't cry. You couldn't get me to cry. And now this man's calling me a sewer rat. That's pretty heavy. I remember going into the bathroom in my high school, and I closed the stall to the toilet, and I just started crying so out of control that like a little kid when you go oh, and you can't catch your breath that I was 16 everything that happened just all came out I just, I just fell apart so I know what it means to be embarrassed I know what it means to someone that you thought looked up to you tell you that you're garbage I know what it means for people to give up on you my parents didn't but everyone else did by far, you, you girls don't know me. By far, the least likely to be successful in Chinuch. I didn't know how to spell the word Gemara when I went for my first Rebbe job. I spelled the word Gemara wrong. The guy, another rabbi, embarrassed me and said, Are you like a gare? Or are you about tshuva? Like, how dare you come to my school? I want to teach sixth grade boys, but you don't even know how to spell Gemara. What he should have said is, okay, I'll look at your resume and I'll call you back. And then probably went into the room and started laughing like, ah, this guy's 20 years old, he doesn't know how to spell Gemara. I didn't know how to spell Gemara. I was like the least expected ever to teach kids. In Chinuch. I always loved kids in camp. I was the man, hockey player, drummer. I'm a musician. Always, always was good with kids, but not, not Tyra, not. So, yeah, Wallenstein is very sensitive to being embarrassed and feeling like that, specifically in school, not at home, but specifically in school. And therefore, I said to, at 20 years old, when I got married to my wife, I said, listen, it doesn't make any sense because, because I wasn't that, definitely not yeshivish and whatever. I'm not going to get into what I was, whatever, but, I said to my wife that I, and my friends that I want to be a Rebbe. And they were like, huh? Like, well, I was like, I didn't marry a Rebbe. And I was like, I know, but half a day I'm going to work. I'm going to make millions of dollars. I'll take care of you. But the other half a day I want to teach. What do you want to teach? What do you want to teach for? Ugh, who, who likes to teach? They don't pay you. They don't pay you anything. And they don't pay you on time. And if the kids like you, the parents don't like you. If the parents like you, the kids don't like you. And then holla never likes you. It's like, the worst job. It's like, why would you teach? And I was like, I'll tell you why I'll teach. Because the 25 boys in my class, 
no one's going to touch. And no one's going to embarrass. So I can't change the system. I can't protect everyone. But 25 guys a year, I'll protect. And I taught 8th grade boys for 30 years. 30 years. From when I was 20 until I was 50. Every single day of my life, from 8 o'clock till 12 o'clock, I taught 8th grade boys Kranites Yeshiva and Mulbasin. That 750 guys went through my class. And if an English teacher or any teacher would embarrass, I became assistant principal, I had a lot of power in that school, if anyone would embarrass one of my boys, you were gone the next day. Because you don't tell a kid you're a rat. So, my hakaras are told, and I'm going to tell you something crazy. My hakaras are told, my recognition of the good is that Wallenstein is who he is, because of my trauma. Because if I didn't go through that trauma, you wouldn't know me. I would probably be in Vegas right now or in Florida just having a good time. And if Hashem would come to me today and say, I'm going to give you your life back. You're going to die, but I'm going to bring you back to the world right away. And you're going to have an amazing life. And I'm going to spare you third grade and I'm going to spare you tenth grade. You're not going to have to go through that. You're going to have the perfect, you're going to be like the perfect kid. Perfect marks. All the teachers like you. In the back of my report card, I said the same thing all the time. He has potential, but he's not, he doesn't live up to it, which is the worst thing you could do. If he says he's stupid, okay, my parents don't expect anything. But they'll know he's, he has potential, but he's a, he's a loser. He doesn't do anything. Every report card, the same thing. With use, I told my father, use are unbe- mean unbelievable. He didn't buy it. With Fs, I told him it's fantastic. He didn't buy it. He didn't buy any of that stuff. Struggled, really, really struggled through school. Hashem would come back to me today and say, you're going to be a third grader like every third grader. You're going to be a tenth grader. You're not going to have any trauma. You're going to have the perfect childhood. I could give you your life over again. I would say, nope, I don't want it. Because who I am is because of what happened to me. And if it wouldn't have happened to me, I wouldn't be who I am. The people who came out of the Holocaust, Lahavdil, I didn't go through a Holocaust, they built Klai Yisrael because of who, of what they went through. And they understood that six million Jews died, and if they don't become religious and keep Shabbos and bring the Masora to America, there will be nothing left. So they could not step out. And some of them had tainus to Hashem. But they could not step out because survival of the Jewish nation was them stepping up and stepping in. So you need to go Rosh Hashanah and say to Hashem, I don't need the trauma. But if I went through it, give me the strength to use it, this muscle to use it to help others. I know it's very late and the rabbi is waiting. I want to end with something. So there's probably a lot of girls and a lot of people watching that I don't really know how to daven. I, I don't understand the words. Davening was always boring for me. It was always boring as a kid because I don't see Hashem. I'm not really talking to Him. So like when you get older, you daven with more kavana because I need, my, I need children to be healthy. I need my grandchildren to be healthy. I need panasa. Your, your wish list when you're older is much bigger. When you're a kid, it's like, what do I need? A new dress? My parents will buy it for me. You know, like, well, how much do I need? When you get older, you need a lot. When you're young, you don't need so much. 
need a lot. So I try to tell you a fast story about Tila, and we'll end with this. I heard this a few weeks ago. It, it changed my life. So there was a very big tzaddik, Rabbi Levi Yitzchak Mibaditchev, who always found the good in every single Jew. One year, he used to down for the Almond. He was the chazan, he was the chazan Rosh Hashanah Kippur, and um, at the end of at the end of during the Elah, he would sing a lot and Lashan Habab Yushalayim and Hashem Malakim. And because he davened and he saw that Kleistro broke all the Xeris, he was very rabidic. He was jumping up and down and singing. And they come to Neila and the, the whole, the whole, the whole Yom Kippur, there's something very wrong. He's very depressed. He was, Rev Levi was not ever depressed. The whole davening, he's not singing. He's not singing Kaddish. He's very depressed, and the people in the shul are very worried that there's a very bad gzera. There's something very wrong. He had Ruch HaKodesh. Something's very wrong. Towards the end, there's about a half an hour left to Ne'ila, to shul in Yom Kippur. This peasant walks in. Farmer. Wasn't there the whole Yom Kippur. Didn't pray, nothing. Must have been working in the field. I don't know what he was doing. Whatever. Comes into the shul in his weekday clothes. Sits in the back. Takes a sitter. Sits in the back. Opens the sitter but doesn't even look into the sitter. And he's just sitting there and he's mumbling something. Ten minutes after he gets into the shul, the whole face of Rav Levi lights up and he starts singing and he starts dancing. Something happened. Something happened. Okay. Now they're like, Shehra must have been broken, right? After davening, they go home and all the chassidim come to Rav Levi and they're like, what happened? Like, what was going on at Hoyom Kippur? We never saw you like this. He says, I'll tell you the truth, starting with Kol Nidre, Yom Kippur night, I saw in Ruch HaKodesh there was a very bad gzera against, against us, against actually the whole countryside, and that there would be terrible, terrible things happening, and a lot of Jews are going to die this year. He said, and I daven, and I daven, and you were all davening so beautifully, and it was the Kor HaBazel, there was a wall of steel, and all our prayers would not go through. Hashem did not accept our prayers. He said, and no matter what I said, no matter what kavana, no matter what we did, no, Hashem was not accepting our prayers. And then a half an hour before the end of Yom Kippur, a peasant, you saw him in the back? A farmer walked in. Yeah, yeah, we saw him. He said, I was in a trance, so he said, I could hear his tefillah, his prayer to Hashem. I want to tell you what he said to Hashem. He said, the peasant said to Hashem, I opened the sitter, but I don't know how to read. So I don't know how to pray, Hashem. But, my father, when I was a little boy, he taught me the Aleph base. So Hashem, I'm going to say the Aleph base now. Aleph base, Gimel, hey, Vav, Zayin, Chesed, Yud, right? Raise your tough stuff. And the vowels. Ooh, ah, eh, uh. Sound like he had a stomachache. Then the Yom Kippur. E. Right? O. And you, Hashem, you take all the letters and the vowels and you put it together because I don't know how to put it together. I don't know how to read. And you make a prayer out of all of it. The lady said, when Hashem heard this peasant's prayer, so pure from his heart, Hashem put together the letters with the vowels 
in such a powerful tefillah that the satan was wiped away and the wall crushed into little pieces. And all our tefillahs were miskabel and the gzera was broken. You think you know how to, you need to know how to read? It's good if you know how to read, but the, the purity and the innocence of a prayer that comes from your heart has a bigger koyach than anything else. The story doesn't end. Next year, one of the Hasidim that was there when this happened was coming, because they used to come to the Rebbe for, for Yom Kippur, was coming for Yom Kippur and there was a huge storm and he couldn't make it to Baditchev and he got stuck in some little teeny village. And he comes into Shul and just a bunch of villagers, in, not, not even in Shabbos clothing, whatever, there. Um, at night they didn't come to Kol Nidri at all and during the day there was a bunch of them sitting in the shul and, um, and they were talking and he said to them when are you starting the prayers and they're like oh no we just fast on Yom Kippur we don't pray so what do you mean you don't pray he says we don't, we don't know how to read we don't know how to read we never learned how to read we don't have a school we don't have anything here we don't know how to read he goes ah I have a story for you guys he said I knew a guy who couldn't read Last year, Gzerah, I told him the whole stories, and he took the alphabets and the vowels, and he put them together, and Hashem made a tefillah. You guys can do that! And they're like, no, we can't. Nobody taught us the alphabets. We don't even know the vowels. We don't even know the alphabets. So this chassid got up and said, okay, everyone, get in your seats. We're not going to pray to God. I'm going to say the letter... And you repeat after me. Aleph! And everyone that's in shul screams, Aleph! With an A! Bays! With an E! B! B! Went through the whole Aleph base. All the vowels. This chassid who wrote the story, actually, of the, fir- of the year before also, he said... In all my life, praying in the most holy of holies, I never felt spiritually uplifted when, like when those people repeated the alphabets. That's the kolach of a Jewish prayer. So even if you don't understand the words, you can always ask Hashem to help put your tefillah together. May Hashem be mekabal, all our tefillahs, may he give you the third eye, the eye that gives you the vision to be able to see in the worst of times, in the hardest of times, there's always something good. Thank you. Be matzliach, have a You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.